Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season two, episode 14 of the Average to Elite podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today we're going to discuss how to blast through the fat loss plateaus. So as for any athlete out there who is either completely plateaued or just wants to nudge things along to accelerate their progress. Before we get into these specifics of today's pod, it's worth, again, highlighting what um, our goal is for weekly rates of fat loss. As I mentioned quite a lot of times on the pod now, big energy deficits do not complement your performance. They very much complicate. And this complication, not just in sports and training, but in your life in terms of your energy levels, your mood, your freshness and fatigue, enjoyability of what you're doing, um, your food focus, the desire to eat. So ultimately, we want to avoid large energy deficits. So again, we're looking for about 0.5 to 1% loss in body mass per week via body fat. Again, this is on average. So when we zoom out and look at that trends over time, this is what we're kind of looking for here. Some weeks might be a little bit slower. Some weeks may be a little bit bigger. So again, we just need to acknowledge and appreciate this is gonna happen. But when we zoom out, this is what the rate of weekly follows should be. Yes, we can drop 2%, 2.5%, but the cost is too big which we do not want as an athlete. Likewise, if it's less than 0.5% per week on average, then progress is a little bit too slow. Uh, then that's going to be pretty frustrating. You can have that, not going to have that same uh, momentum or motivation or desire to continue with this restriction. So, you know, we need to find that nice balance and act. And about 0.51% is what research would suggest is adequate and is recommendation I've been working on for quite a long time now, and it seems to work incredibly well with the athletes I work with. So uh, that's essentially uh, what we aim for. The second thing we need to ask ourselves and consider, have you actually plateaued? Now, what are you measuring? How are you identifying this? So with the athletes I work with, uh, especially online, there's a few kind of criteria and a little bit of a checklist I kind of go through. So the different kind of criteria are your body mass, your progress photos, your circumferences, your subjectiveness. So how do you feel in your own skin? Your clothes, how are they fitting you? Are you getting any compliments? Friends, family, teammates? And if you have access to body fat percentage readings and measurements, then that's awesome. So just gonna delve into each one a little bit more um, just to highlight that most or if not all of these um, components are going to have limitations in terms of their accuracy and reliability. So in terms of body mass, we know how volatile your body mass can fluctuate on a daily basis. Um, so anything from time of weighing, the food you've just eaten, your hydration status, your level of muscle soreness, your stress, the amount of sodium you have in your diet, loads of things like that, females, hormone sort of changes, 
So there's a lot of things that influence and impact body mass. So we can't use that in isolation to measure your progress. And again, it doesn't really tell us what the composition is. It just tells us mass overall. So fat mass and fat-free mass. You know, there's so many individuals, so many athletes that get huge amounts of body recomposition. They drop body fat and build muscle and they stay the same weight. So it doesn't tell us the entire story there. And like with any, with all these components here, they have limitations and we can't use one in isolation. But when we combine them all, or maybe two, three, four, now we get a better picture. Speaking of pictures, next one, progress photos. How do you visually present on a weekly basis? Are you visually dropping body fat? Yes, no. So these are great to complement body mass. It tells us what's actually going on. However, there's so many things that can influence how you appear. So you could just be bloated one day, you know, that happens. Um, and that's going to actually affect how lean you look. It could be a case of you take the pictures different time of day, where it's different lighting, uh, different place, different background. You know, you could have a little bit of a pump. Uh, so many things can affect how you actually look. So again, limitation, your circumferences, measuring your, your chest, your arms, your waist, your hips, your quads, whatever measurements you want to pick. It doesn't really matter too much, to be honest, as long as you're consistent and reliable in how you do it, because there are a large amount of human error, error here. Um, and there is also quite a lot of human bias here as well. You know that you can quite easily um, take measurements of your waist and perhaps just pull the tape a little bit harder to just get a few more centimeters off, you know, just to justify that you're making progress when perhaps you perhaps not. So um, circumferences, they're great and they do complement the others, but they do not tell the whole story when you take them in isolation. Again, another limitation of circumferences, especially, especially your waist measurements. If you are perhaps bloated or you just had a big meal and your stomach has expanded slightly to accommodate that extra food, you know, your waist measurements can be two, three centimeters bigger. So again, there's limitations to this 100%. And then again, like subjective, how do you feel on your own skin? You, you probably know if you're dropping body fat because you will just feel leaner and a bit tighter. So you you know. And then also how your clothes fit in you. You know, if you wear jeans, if you wear belts, like are they big on you? Are they baggy? Like, you know, you, sh you should kind of know this. I've had so many athletes and um, say general population as well saying like, oh, I've not dropped body fat. I don't feel like I'm progressing. Oh, but I'm two uh, holes down in my belt. And like, what <laughs> if you're down two holes in your belt um you're clearly a smaller person there's less of you and therefore there is space occupying your skin and the jeans the belt so therefore body fat has come off you so again we need to acknowledge and appreciate all these things and how they work together um and then are people complimenting you uh that is actually quite a big thing you know you're going to see and assess yourself every day in the, mirror, in the mirror. But if you haven't seen anybody or somebody for weeks to months, then, and you made significant improvements, they're the, they're, that's the first thing they're going to say, aren't they? Oh, look how great you look. How, look how much body fat you dropped. So compliments are actually quite a big thing because sometimes you can be overly harsh on yourself in terms of your rate of progress when you're, it's you versus you in the mirror every single day.
And then lastly, what's your body fat percentage, your measurements. So there's a lot of limitations here, but the two methods I would use if I'm doing stuff face-to-face uh, -face, so are one skin full measurements. So just measuring how much body fat you have underlying the skin um, with calipers. So for this, again, it's a large amount of human error and bias that can go into this. So you need to get a practitioner who could do this again, um, reliably and accurately to minimize that error. And therefore, when you measure time point A to time point C to time point C, um, you get and get reliable readings and a better representation of what's going on. Like I've seen so many individuals, so many practitioners just grabbing skin, grabbing landmarks and you know, um, it's not very accurate at all. There needs to be some method behind it. Um, and then if you have access to one, Dexter scans are obviously awesome, gold standard, but they're going to send you back maybe 150, 200 quid a go. So it's not very accessible and it's pretty costly as well. So if you have access to them, that's great. If not, then, you know, it's not really that necessary. And then other forms of measurements like biometrical impedance, the scales we stand on, yeah, take them with a massive pinch of salt. Um, if you really want to do an experiment on yourself, um, jump on the same set of scales and measure your body fat via biological impedance. Um, do it at breakfast, lunch, dinner, three times a day and see what it comes back. I guarantee I guarantee you that your body fat will change maybe 2 3% throughout the day until you've gained 1.5 kilos of muscles, dropped 2 kilos of body fat. Because um, biological impedance is massively influenced by your hydration status essentially. Um, so again, huge pinch of salt with that. If a client came to me and said, oh, I've got my body fast fire, the kind of scales I stand on or the ones I hold on to, I would just pretty much just disregard it completely. Um, I don't wait, I don't look into that too much uh, in the slightest. So when you kind of put all of them together, so weight, pictures, circumferences, clothes, subjectivity, uh, body fat percentage, compliments, you should get a good understanding of, are you heading in the right direction? Are you making progress? So if you've identified that you are no longer making progress, then we move on to the next question. So what is your food reporting accuracy like? Again, you've heard me talk about this quite a few times. And the reason why I bring it up is because it's so, so, so important. And so many athletes get this wrong. Essentially, they are not tracking properly or accurately. They may report that, again, they're eating 1,800 calories, 2,000, 2,200, whatever ends up being, where in fact, they're putting away 2,800 calories, 2,900 calories, 3,000 calories. They're eating at maintenance, and therefore, they're not dropping body fat because they are forgetting to track and record certain items of food. So if, for example, if you just do a little bit of test with yourself now, if you to get a piece of paper out and then just write down everything you ate, over the last 24 to 48 hours, I guarantee you'll miss a lot off that. Like you just won't remember what you're eating. Um, and that's what happens a lot of the time. And this is known as underreporting or misreporting. So just a couple of examples here. When you look at athletes in the research now, um, when they've pulled together about, in this one study you're just kind of looking at referring to about 50 athletes 56% of them, so it's not a huge sample size, but 56% of them were classified as low energy reporters. So they were under reporting. Um, 
And what's interesting about that group in that population of athletes, the ones that had higher body mass index or higher body mass or body fat percentage tended to be the ones who underreported, but the ones who said they were eating X and they actually were, so adequate energy reporters, um, they had leaner um, frames and less body fat and more muscle, which is quite interesting from an associative perspective. Uh, when they looked at elite female gymnasts, uh, 61% of them were underreporters. And you may think, okay, this is all quite low sample size. There's not many, um, not many people here. We can't take massive conclusions from this. But if you extend that into bigger, wider studies and non-athletic populations, one sort of big landmark study uh, coming out of Korea when they analyzed um, the diet of 15,133 adults uh, over the age of 19, I believe it was, and they just did a 24-hour recall. You know, 14.5% of men underreported, where 23% of women, they underreported. So when you look at non-athletic populations, there is a trend for females to underreport to a great extent than males as well. So when I have athletes say like, I've hit a body fat plateau, you know, I just can't drop body fat anymore. I would firstly, obviously go into what you're actually measuring, how have you identified this? But then secondly, before I think about dropping calories or anything like that, is a case of, are you actually eating what you think you are eating? If your recommendations are two and a half thousand calories a day to drop body fat, are you eating two and a half thousand calories or are you tanking in three and a half thousand calories? The little coffees, the lattes, the biscuit here, the, the granola bar, the whatever, these things are creeping for sure, what 100%. So that'd be the next thing I look at. But if I'm satisfied, if we're both satisfied, myself and the athlete, that reporting is to a very high standard and um, you are eating what you said you're eating, then we think of the next one, the next layer, the next question. You probably have plateaued. So we know that in a fat loss phase, when obviously you are restricting your calorie intake and you're getting leaner, um, we do get something called metabolic adaptation. So essentially, I guess you can think of it as like a little bit of a survival mechanism. With any fat loss diet, you know, you are consuming fewer calories than you expend. And therefore, there is this mismatch. Now, your body still needs this energy to maintain normal physiological functioning to the best of its ability. So where is it going to get this extra energy from? It's your stored energy, preferably through body fat. But this is perhaps a threat to the host, you can call it, um, if you become too lean. So it's going to essentially just to start to slow you down to preserve energy. Because again, it just thinks like, wait, if you're going at this fat loss phase at this rate, in you know, six to 12 months, you're not gonna be much left of you. So it's just gonna slow you down to preserve this energy. Now, this is metabolic adaptation and not necessarily metabolic damage, which perhaps was coined a few years ago. So your metabolism just slows down. It doesn't get broken. It doesn't shut off. It is just going to slow down. And the way that the your metabolism will become suppressed is through a few different factors here. So 
ultimately the biggest and largest component and driving force behind this is your NEAT, so your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is you expending energy outside of training. This is your, your step count. This is your fidgeting, all that kind of stuff. So this is your sloth mode. This is you just being highly sedentary to preserve energy. You'll probably see yourself, if you're in a, the depth of a dieting phase in a calorie deficit, you're probably sitting down a lot more. You're probably leaning a lot more. You're probably doing fewer steps. You probably got less of a spring in your step. Um, all these kind of things. You perhaps fidget less as well. So all these small subconscious things do add up to quite a considerable state or amount. So this is why I really like not necessarily all athletes, but majority of athletes um, who are quite sedentary outside of the training. And if the training demands aren't that crazy, um, I'll get them to look at the steps. Let's try and get some form of step goal outside of training. So you are relatively accurate. Obviously, if you're on if you're an endurance athlete, an ultra endurance athlete, you're on the bike for you know, five, six hours a day. I'm not going to say, right, let's do your 10K steps. You know, that's highly unneeded. But if you're, you know, a team sport athlete and you're in like off-season or pre-season and you're just doing a gym session a day, it's like, okay, let's try and be more active outside. Um, So controlling, or shall we say, trying to offset this reduction in needs is going to be obviously quite a big thing. Next thing is then is your TEF, your thermic effect of food. You are eating less food. And therefore, your body doesn't have to work as hard to break that same amount of food down. Like if you're used to having 4,000 calories, now you're eating 2,500 calories, that's less food to break down. And therefore, less energy is needed to break down that food. And therefore, overall expenditure, your total daily energy expenditure reduces. And even things like within the session itself, um, so your eat, so your exercise activity thermogenesis, Again, like you may not have that same spring in your step. You may not be burning as much energy because you're not training with the same amount of focus and intent as you used to. So these things we need to appreciate and acknowledge. One is one of the things that a lot of individuals think when you think of their metabolism is their base of metabolic rate. That's broken, that's damaged. Um, you know, I've got a slow metabolism, all that kind of stuff. So when it comes to your BMR or your RMR, your rest of metabolic rate, and um, this is often, again, associated with like this starvation mode where people pull this kind of phrase out of um, thin air, really. So, again, you don't get damaged metabolism. It doesn't, you don't starve, essentially, um, through a dieting phase. Um, so when we think of starvation mode, there's a fantastic landmark study um, came out sort of during the Second World War called the Minnesota Semi-Starvation Study. So what they did was they got a group of male volunteers. So essentially they were individuals who wanted to support America in the war without actually conflicting pain. So they didn't want to go into war, but they wanted to contribute in some way, shape or form. So this study was designed to assess how very low calorie diets and starvation impacts the physiology and at what the impact is of refeeding after. So this was more designed for prisoners of war. So when they've been in captivity for months and years on end, they're going to be very malnourished. And 
what you can get is something called refeeding syndrome, where if you are starved or you're fasting for a long period of time and you suddenly go on a very high calorie intake and eating normally, um, this could be uh, fatal in quite a few circumstances. So obviously that's not ideal if you've been a prisoner of war and then uh, you've been starved and all of a sudden you get uh, rescued and then you start eating normally and yeah, you end up being a, a fatality. So um, not uh, the ideal sort of um, outcome there. So obviously they kind of uh, appreciate that could happen. So they recruited these young male healthy volunteers to undergo this uh, study uh, to learn how physiology and how to best refeed them um, when these these soldiers do return home so they are well looked after so essentially what they did during the study was they semi-starved them so they dropped 25 percent of their body mass now these are like normal healthy kind of guys starting around 70 75 kilos and most of them dropped down to the 50 kilo bracket so they are very malnourished they're very starved so throughout the six-month study then when they are assessing their resting metabolic rate so to figure out what's happening to their physiology throughout this semi-starvation period you know with that 25 percent loss in body mass the resting metabolic rate dropped by 39 percent so round up let's call it 40 percent but this actual adaptive thermogenesis is metabolic adaptation uh 35 percent so 200 calories of that was attributed to the body just becoming more efficient so it's essentially not uh, wasting extra sort of calories so it's not kind of spilling extra kind of calories there so it's just kind of making everything the system's a little bit more efficient so you leak less energy so where did the other 65 percent kind of come from then and that was very much because they were small people they lost a lot of muscle mass and small people with less muscle mass burn less calories per day so when you take that into consideration and into context when they take healthy male individuals and pretty much starve them for six months, worst case scenario, their metabolism dropped by 200 calories per day uh, through adaptation. So yes, there's other things that go on here. So your your neat and all that kind of stuff, um, which obviously we can't control. We can't control what happens really to your rest of metabolic rate. There's some kind of studies that perhaps suggest that you could do diets and breaks and stuff like that. Whereas there's some kind of interesting kind of thoughts uh, and paradigms there. But ultimately, we can't do too much. And to be honest, in the worst case kind of scenario, um, where you are starved, it's a drop of about 200 calories per day. Um, but again, you do have overall reduction in calorie expenditure because ultimately you're a smaller person. You probably moved around less. Your body's trying to slow you down to preserve this energy. So we can't really blame it on the start. I'm in starvation mode and stuff like that. You know, you probably had like one day of lower calories than in starvation mode, whereas it really isn't the case. Like these dudes starved for like six fucking months and the worst case scenario for them is 200 calories um, at the end of it. So ultimately we need to look at everything in its entirety and we just have to adapt uh, calorie intake or expenditure accordingly. And then what we also need to acknowledge as well is and again you can't really measure this but you, you kind of know is this um is this kind of classification of thrifty metabolisms and spent thrift metabolism so again i spoke about this 
um, a little bit in the past as well in previous podcasts. So a spendthrift metabolism is, I would say I have it like a fast metabolism. So there's individuals who can stay lean, uh, but they still eat quite a lot of food. So the spendthrift metabolism is essentially when you introduce extra calories to someone's diet, their metabolism will speed up to preserve leanness, which is quite a nice thing. When you reduce calories with these individuals, their metabolism doesn't suppress, it doesn't drop. So say, for example, you take away 500 calories, their deficit is probably going to stay around 500 calories. Like you don't really have this adaptation where if you've got a thrifty metabolism, unfortunately, this is where the, the opposite happens. If you take 500 calories out of their diet, their metabolism maybe will drop by two, three, four, even perhaps even 500 calories. And that is um, obviously not favorable for body composition because then you just have to push the deficit even further and even harder. Likewise, if they were to introduce calories into their diet, i.e. in excess and surplus, their metabolism won't really um, speed up to preserve leanness. They will just put on body fat. They'll accrue that over time. So we need to, again, acknowledge um, this. So you could classify them as a fast metabolism and a slow metabolism, where, shall we just say, some individuals just have a highly adaptive metabolism. Um, so again, we just need to understand this is a thing. And we just got to, again, appreciate that some individuals from a follow perspective just have to push a little bit harder and a little bit more aggressively to be in a deficit and overcome that level of adaptation, that's thrifty phenotype in their metabolism. So with all that being said, we will have this reduction in expenditure as a perhaps a protective and survival mechanism there. So what do we do? What is the prescription at the end of the day? When, so ultimately, if you are plateaued, you are at calorie maintenance. Whatever you're burning, you're eating 100% of those calories back. And ultimately, we need to be in a deficit to further kick on with body composition and fat loss. Now, a lot of individuals will be like, oh, should I take 50 calories away, 100? Where ultimately, your body's probably not going to recognize if you took away like half a banana worth of calories. It has to be a, a, a big enough kind of stimulus to kind of kick you on again. Because again, if you're at maintenance, when you plateau, you will have to then push on and get back into that deficit. So when I saw a set of fat loss diets for athletes to induce this 0.5% loss in body mass per week via body fat, I look anywhere between a 10 to 15% calorie deficit, energy deficit over the course of the week. So if, for example, on average, they burn 3,000 calories a day, 21,000 calories a week, I'll take that off the weekly kind of quota and redistribute it and periodize it based on their training demands and all that kind of cool stuff. So if you plateaued, then most likely you have to take 10, 15% of your calories away to gain further progress. If you are still making progress, but it's not quite fast enough, this is where we then just nudge it. So then you may drop maybe 5, 10%. Again, just to, to nudge it on. You don't need to go in a, a you know, uh, take 10, 15% of the calories away, because that could mean you're in a 20, 25% of a deficit, and that's just too much, and that's too big. For general population, it doesn't matter too much whether you take this away from food 
or whether you just move around and excise a little bit more. Uh, ultimately, you just need to create this energy deficit. So in versus out, one thing or both perhaps uh, need to change based on your preferences. However, if you're an athlete with very high training volumes, you're probably not going to do more exercise on top of that because it's going to splash and interfere with these training sessions and affect your freshness and fatigue. So therefore, by default, you will have to drop your calorie intake um, and you'll do so via, ideally, dropping dietary fat. Because again, within the calorie budget, we want to try and protect your carb intake and keep that as high as possible to support performance and recover and recovery. So for males, I would typically drop your dietary fat down to 0.5 gram per kilogram bottom end. So it's not a, a, a no fat diet, it's just a low fat diet. And females, about 0.7, 0.75 gram per kilogram there. So again, we are following a lower fat and higher carbohydrate diet. For general population, it doesn't really matter. Whatever pick, whatever takes your fancy, whatever your preference is, do I like to have more carbs in my diet, more fat? It doesn't matter too much as long as the calorie reduction has been made. For athletes, we know that carbohydrates are super important for driving performance, so we need to keep them as high as possible. If then you hit another plateau and you have identified it is actually a plateau and you've already bombed out with your dietary fat, you can't take that any lower, then those recommendations there, then you'll start pulling down from carbohydrates at the same 10, 15% of calorie reduction until um, essentially you've got no calories left to um, take away from. And the question then is like, how low is too low? And this comes into the conversation of, uh, relative energy availability in sports, so or relative energy deficiency in sports, so reds. Um, like obviously going too low, you can have a huge amount of compromises at not only performance, uh, life, but in your health as well. So we don't want to be running things too low, and I'll probably do another podcast on that to find where that tipping point is. But ultimately, uh, from a crude way of analyzing this, is you know what your KPIs like? Are you in the red? Are you in the shit zone? Again, how are you scoring on a scale of 1 to 10, your performance, your recovery, freshness, fatigue, mood, food focus, and all that kind of stuff. Generally speaking, if you drop into the red, that's your body probably signaling and telling you that, yeah, you need to probably get out of this deficit uh, and just a nice way, a nice crude kind of marker and indicator to let's push calories back up, let's transition to maintenance and start, let's start feeling a little bit more normal again. But to be fair, athletes shouldn't really get down to that kind of point um, in terms of like really low energy availability. Um, generally speaking, if they are, then they're just progressing or pushing this deficit too much and overly restricting the calories, which is not uh, needed. And so again, I'll probably do a podcast in a little bit more detail there, but if you're going to use this kind of uh, KPI system, traffic light system, if you're high scoring on one to 10, if you're below five, get out of that deficit, put some more calories in. Um, and then the kind of last point there is, Sometimes, you know, eating more is actually better for fat loss, which again is a hard one to get your head around. Um, but say, for example, we have this massive reduction in meat. So this is your movement, your fidget in outside of training. If, for example, you plateaued and you're already like a full on sloth, reducing calories by another 200 or 300 or 150, you know, this might make you 100. 200, 300 calories, more sedentary and more sloth-like. And therefore, in versus out, it's still exactly the same, but you're just eating less food and you're even more miserable. 
So in sometimes in this case, I actually put more food back in, maybe two, 300 calories. And now you have perhaps 200, 300 calories extra to use. And that kind of reverses some of this suppression in meat. And you may burn four or 500 calories extra. So therefore, the net gain is 200 calorie deficit, which again is kind of a ridiculous thing to think about. But you see this quite commonly in individuals reversing out of a dieting phase. They've hit their body fat goal, like, right, I'm lean enough, get me out of here type thing. And you start drip feeding calories into the diet out of this deficit towards maintenance and they're getting leaner. It's like, how am I getting leaner? I'm eating more food. Well, it's actually a case of you're putting calories into your diet, but then you're using this to move around more and you end up burning more energy as a result. So you're actually in more of a deficit than previous. And that's why you're getting leaner. So now we need to put more food, more food, more food until you find that tipping point and um, you actually return back to your true calorie maintenance. So hope um, this podcast episode helped in terms of how to blast through a fat loss plateau. Um, so a few considerations in it in terms of what we're actually measuring, what's your food accuracy like. Then if you satisfy that you're doing those two uh, to a high standard, then it's like, okay, maybe you are perhaps metabolically adapted. So then we know what the considerations there. And then a prescription is pretty straightforward. It's just amending the in versus out equation. Um, eat fewer calories than you expend most of the time until the case of let's actually eat a little bit more uh, food, as mentioned. So hope that was helpful. Any questions, anything I can help you with, reach out, let me know. Best place to find me is on Instagram, DMs. Um, just drop me a message, say hey, ask a question. And um, again, hope this uh, was useful and took some value away from it. And um, I'll see you uh, next time. Goodbye.